0: On the Barbary Coast, there lived a man, O'Larry was his name. And in the days of the Cape Horn trade, he played the Shanghai game.
1: Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 525. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series, today's show is about the amazing, beautiful, functional, and largest estuary in America, the Chesapeake Bay. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate Pete Lesher, who is the chief curator of the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Pete Lesher will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program April 7th, 2021. The title of Pete Lesher's Smithsonian Associate presentation is An Evening on the Bay with Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Join us today with Pete Lesher, the Chief Curator of the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum in St. Michael's, Maryland, for a wonderful exploration of the collections that tell the stories about the relationship between the people and the place in the Chesapeake Bay region, revealing how culture has shaped all of the delicate intertwining of land and water around America's largest estuary. Pete Lesher will answer our questions about an overview of the Chesapeake Bay Museum facilities, 12 exhibition buildings and historic structures on the 18-acre waterfront campus. And Pete Lesher offers us detailed looks at the museum's permanent exhibitions. We'll talk all about the mapping. We will explore the oystering on Chesapeake Bay and wonderful Maryland crab meat, all of which are exhibits in which working lives on the bay are revealed in the words of mixed race, skipjack crews, and African-American women who traditionally have picked crabs for centuries. Pete and I will discuss the role of the bay as a maritime highway that connects people and moves commodities, which is explored in part at the Hooper Strait Lighthouse a unique cottage-style historic structure moved to St. Michael's, Maryland for preservation. And the transformation of the bay into a place of recreation is told at play on the bay through stories like the racing of sailing and those log canoes that you can see out on the bay, a living tradition with roots among all the oyster tongers. The Chesapeake Bay continues to provide meaning, and inspiration to residents and visitors, as evidenced in the rich art collections from the 19th century painters to contemporary photographer David Harp, who we'll be discussing too, and whose environmental photojournalism is shaping the conversation around the impacts of climate change on the Chesapeake and its waterfront communities. So please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Smithsonian Associate, Pete Lesher, Chief Curator. Of the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Pete Lesher, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to talk to you. The weather is beautiful. I live just outside of DC. I uh, get the impression from some of the research I've done on you and the Chesapeake Bay. Maritime Museum that you're fairly close by in Maryland. So we've got a beautiful day. We're going to talk about the beautiful Chesapeake Bay and your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I wonder if you would just tell us briefly about what you're going to talk about at your Smithsonian Associates presentation. And then uh, we're all on Zoom these days. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you're going to use Zoom to engage our audience. Sure.
0: Well, Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum is open today, so people are do have the opportunity to uh, to come visit us in person. And so, rather than rather than merely doing uh, a virtual tour, uh, which which I think in in could only be a second best to experiencing it in person. What what I'm going to do instead is sort of give you um, an exploration of 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 our of our interpretive themes. Give you. The framework that we want you to build a visit around to understand a little bit about what it is that we're about, which is that which is that connection between people and place Uh, this this unique region, this this Chesapeake Bay that has that has by our living in it for centuries or actually millennia um, has shaped who we are has, has shaped how we relate to one another, has shaped how we think of ourselves. Um, and, and this is a place that's really dedicated to telling that story. So I, I'm going to, we, we use a series of interpretive themes, uh, around this, this, uh, this nature of culture interaction. And, and I want to use those as a way of introducing, um, this place and, how we talk about this place in specifically at the Chesapeake Bay maritime museum with our, with our, uh, our collections, with our, with our exhibitions. And so you'll get a glimpse of all the various parts or many of the various parts of the museum, and even a little bit behind the scenes too. I'll, I'll show a few things that, that you can't see in your daily visit to make this, uh, to make this a, a little bit of a special exploration too. Um, I'd like to know a little bit. About. I've, I've, I've had the, the good fortune to do, um, some Smithsonian to lead some Smithsonian associates programs. I, I did some tours of Tangier Island a number of years ago. And so I, I have a sense of, of, the being, the, uh, the engaged, well-educated, curious people who, who join these programs. Uh, but I want to get a, a sense of who specifically is on this program. So I'll, I, I'm, I'm exploring doing a, a bit of polling uh, to get a to get a sense of of where we are, uh, and then I'll show I'll show a series of of vignettes framed around uh, each of these
1: each of these these interpretive themes that we use at at the museum. I think this is just going to be a wonderful presentation on your part. It sounds great. It sounds like you've really given it a lot of thought about how to engage our audience too because they're going to they're going to love this. The Chesapeake Bay is an important waterway. It's the it's the largest estuary in America. And I wondered if you would tell us a little bit about the culture of the region and how how it's been shaped by the land and the water of the Chesapeake.
0: Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you a bit of a sneak peek. So one of those ways that we talk about the way the bay shapes us because we it's it's a two-way relationship right we shape we reshape the bay too um but the bay shapes us um and in in ways the bay bay connects us Uh, because the the bay is this this natural transportation network if you think about when the um when when the native americans inhabited this area uh the you could get you could walk overland but you were only going to get there at a walking pace um, you could also paddle over water and get access to different places and certainly these the chesapeake Bay the main trunk of the bay and its tributaries were seen as this this natural highway explored by John Smith and used by uh, by the European colonists, uh, very much that way. It's a, it's a protected waterway, you know, separated from the, the ocean swells and currents. Uh, it's certainly, it can, can throw up quite, uh, uh, quite a storm itself. Um, but we built boats, we created routes to take advantage of this natural transportation network. Think of, of the steamboat era, which we're, Every, all the rural areas of the Chesapeake were connected by thrice-weekly steam, uh, steamboat visits uh, to a hub to, in many cases, Baltimore, to Washington, to Norfolk, to the, the, the urban centers in the area. But at the same time, the bay also divides us because, after all, we're, we're not aquatic creatures. Uh, we... We can't we can't live in that environment unsupported by land indefinitely, and we need a boat to get from here to there if we're going any farther than a swimming distance. Um, we um, and and as a consequence of of the of this division, we we live we live in isolation in places. Why does why do you find uh, people on the eastern shore? uh identifying themselves as by the eastern shore, it's got a it's it's a it's got a sense of place uh you find island cultures that are even more extreme examples of this where tilman island you talk to a tilman islander and and there's a distinct island brogue there there's there's a a distinct accent that if you learn that accent, you can identify somebody as from tilman island or from tangier or from smith island these various places that are all distinctive and grew that way because of their because of their isolation so i'll, I'll, I'll certainly be exploring that that this sort of diametrical truth this 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 tension the, the bay connects us and the bay divides us um, You know, it's, it's, it's both a physical barrier in ways, but it can also be, this is, this can be contested terrain too. It's, it can be a, um, a barrier in different ways. The, the bays become a recreational playground. Lots of people use this for fishing, for cruising, for racing, for, um, day visits of, uh, day sailing and and, and this sort of thing. But, when there's so many people competing for that limited space, you get uh contested terrain. And, uh, these, um, you know, is this spot, this spot is good for fishing. So why are you sailing through it and interrupting my fishing and scaring the fish away and the rivalries between power boaters and sail boaters. So we divide ourselves in, in, in this way over the, uh, over these contested resources. Um, so it it shapes us in all of these ways it gives us this identity and those are those are the themes that we th- that's just one of the sub themes that we explore in this this nature culture interaction
1: we are with Pete Lesher. Pete Lesher is the chief curator of the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Pete Lesher will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up here April 7th. The title of Pete Lesher's presentation at Smithsonian Associates is An Evening on the Bay with Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Pete Lesher, let's talk a little bit about the museum. From the website, it just looks like a wonderful place. I am excited to come visit you at Subpoint here very soon. And, uh, the website's been hugely helpful. We're going to put links up to where people can find out more information about the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. But why don't you tell us a few, just a few words about the collections that best tell some of these stories about the relationship between the people and the Chesapeake? In particular, I found the mapping collection really fascinating. But but tell us a little bit about what uh, what you think are some of the the maritime museum's best collections that you that you think really reflect it.
0: Well, I i do i do love the maps we we collect objects from full structures and floating vessels down to sailmaker's needles uh, and and historic objects watercraft manuscripts historic photographs Um, it's a it oral histories Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a diverse collection in terms of its materials. When you, when you enter, you drive, if, if you are arriving by car, by bus, by, by road transportation, you drive underneath, uh, an old drawbridge, the, the former Knapp's Narrows drawbridge. And as the sign labels it, and this gives you a bit of, a bit of sort of a shift in perspective, this bridge once connected Tillman Island to the rest of the world. Um, And emphasizing that, that theme of, of the the sense of isolation, the sense of place that you might get uh, living uh, in a place like, uh, like Tillman Island, which yes, is an island, which yes, you can drive there. Um, You go over the, the busiest drawbridge in the Eastern half of the United States, it is said, uh, the Knapp's narrows draw bridge uh, which, which is, uh, used by both recreational boaters and watermen year round, uh, and the bridge opens on demand and you just might wait for that bridge to come up. And when they replaced the bridge back about a little more than 20 years ago, um, the old one from 1933 was moved up to chesapeake bay maritime museum and forms a gateway and so here is your your introduction to that theme and you get from from that this single bascule bridge tilted up as a as a gateway you begin to get a sense of that um that theme of of connection and isolation that we that we get around the bay that comes out that comes out in historic maps and charts as well and um you'll see a number of these in, um, we use one, we use one in our, in our lighthouse, uh, an 1860s, uh, chart, uh, by a, a Baltimore chart maker that, uh, that shows actually it was a very innovative chart. That was, uh, one of the first to use color to help orient, you know, the government charts of the day were, were just black and white ink. Uh, no, but, uh, to suggest uh, depth of water and and the distinction of land versus water um, and located uh, along that way the the, the signposts that uh, that guided mariners in and out of the bay, which were the lighthouses of the day. Uh, these were you know we use we use road markers uh, you know exit seven well they use mariners use lighthouses uh, today of course we have many many more lights. Uh, virtually every buoy going up and down the main channel of the bay is lighted and many others besides, but, uh, but those, those formed the mileposts and it was, and making this place safer to navigate was one of the, the first tasks of the federal government. One of the first acts of the first Congress back in 1791 was to build a lighthouse down at cape henry the mouth of the bay and you get it you can get a sense of that from these from this early fielding lucas chart that you that you see in um, in our in our lighthouse which uh, so we show this in the lighthouse and co- conversely the chart shows the location the original location uh, because
1: it's been moved of the lighthouse and the lighthouse you're referring to, this is the Hooper Strait Lighthouse. I I imagine because this is this is a fascinating looking lighthouse. Maybe tell us a little bit about it because it's it's what what you refer to as cottage style. So it's a historic structure that was moved uh, for preservation, and it's there a part of the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Right. So tell us a little bit about that because that's unique amongst lighthouses. I I would. Imagine.
0: Today it is today it is virtu- virtually a unique lighthouse, and uh, but it was it was once a common type at least in this area. Um, you know, when when we think of lighthouses, we think of uh, you know a, a tall, sometimes tall, uh, cylindrical uh, perhaps a tower, light at the top, uh, the height of course, to, so that the, the the beacon can be seen from many miles distant. Uh, but on on inland waterways like the like the bay, and in areas that were with with a muddy bottom, you know not the rocky coast of New England, but here on the bay it it's mostly sand, mud, clay on the bottom. Uh, uh, you know we i I don't take running aground uh, as a sailor too terribly seriously because it's it's more of an inconvenience on the bay. It's not going to sink my boat and So the way we built lighthouses, because so often in the bay, we've got these, the bay is very, very shallow. The average depth is something like 18 feet, uh, and many areas that are under six feet, not navigable to a vessel of any size. And so if you put, with these shoals extending well off of the land, if you put a lighthouse on the point of land, it's not where you need it. It's, It's too far from the channel. And so they started building lighthouses in the mid 19th century out on the edge of the shoal, out close to the channel, and they sank pilings um, into the mud, into the clay uh, to, to put them in place. And, so, and on top of that, so many of these lighthouses were put in places where they were just needed to guide you into the entrance of a river, one of the tributaries of the bay, or sometimes all going up the Potomac River at intervals, they did not need to be seen from a great distance like a seacoast lighthouse. And so you don't need the height. So you've got these sort of fat squat lighthouses with the keeper's dwelling uh, and, the, and the beacon built into the same structure. The beacon surmounts the keeper's dwelling and, and hence the cottage style. It's the keeper's dwelling, the cottage, surmounted by, by the light. Uh, and all this structure set on a series of of, piding, of pilings that sit out there if you and some of the old ones where the the structure has been scraped off um, stand out there looking like like a spider just the legs uh, out there in in the middle of the bay and several sur- several several survive in in that way but ours of course the coast guard when they automated these things they didn't need a wooden structure who was going to take care of them who's going to paint them Who's going to keep them from getting vandalized? And so in the 50s and 60s, they began accessing uh, these and and dismantling these. And the museum bought this lighthouse from the demolition contractor for its scrap value, which wasn't much, uh, and transported it up to to St. Michael's uh, so that now set on land, not out in the middle of the water where it's hard to access, but set on the shore in St. Michael's, you can now walk yourself up. And while there were once 35 of these up and down the Chesapeake Bay alone, more on the sounds of North Carolina, but the Chesapeake Bay was really the home of these, these cottage styles group pile lighthouses. Um, there are, there are really just, uh, just like uh, three of these left. Um, one that's been moved in, in Solomon's uh, one that stands in its original location off of Annapolis, the Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse, and uh, and the one at Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. There's another one that that uh, is sort of a more iron, uh, an earlier version, an iron cylinder screw pile lighthouse that's also been moved to uh, to Baltimore. So uh, it's a rare survivor uh, today, and and one that that now you know is publicly accessible in a way that and and. It, we can explore it and, and get a sense of, or try to convey a sense of what must have been like to live out there, you know, getting back to the theme of isolation. They, they, the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard, one of the rationales for getting rid of lighthouses was we can't find the type of men that you need to, to staff these. Uh, they're just, Harder to find. Well, the truth of the matter is that good lighthouse keepers were always hard to find. That level of isolation is just not something that most people want to do, and most that most people can thrive in doing. Uh, it was it was always a tough job.
1: Well, I mentioned the website, and we're going to put links up to it. It is cbmm as Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum org. You'll find great photos of the Hooper Strait Lighthouse, as well as great. Photos and details about the various exhibitions and collections and research. I also found on the website Pete Lesher a reference to the Clean Bay Poop Meter. And not not to make light of this subject at all because uh, you take this very seriously and, and it's an excellent resource, I thought, because it gives you almost a count of what exactly is being removed from the bay. And we're all surrounded by this beautiful environment and this beautiful Chesapeake Bay I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about what you're learning about um, the bay and how it affects climate change and uh, how it's shaping the Chesapeake.
0: Yeah, so uh, lots, lots there. Of course, of course, we Mm. we once the way we view the bay has changed so much. The bay used to be seen as the great solution to to the pollution problem. The, the The old mantra was the the solution to pollution is dilution, uh, that, that you put this all out into the Bay and it just spreads out and, and, and it's too dilute to be harmful. And and we're talking about sewage here, right? And, but, but everything, everything has its limits and the Bay is small and fragile. And we've discovered that we, we now know that we need to, we need to take better care of it. We cannot overwhelm it. And that if, if we do take care of it, it, it actually heals itself fairly well. If we don't keep uh, overfeeding it with, with, with nutrients. Um, but the, the, we, we get a sense too of the, the vulnerability the day in our, our, our current exhibition or special exhibition of photography by David Harp, photojournalist, David Harp, uh, really brings this out. And I'll, I'll be talking about this as well. Um, among his photographs is, uh, one of the, what are now called ghost forests in Dorchester County. They're not exclusive to Dorchester County. You can find them in all the low-lying areas around the Bay. You know, the Bay is shallow, but also the land around it uh, and particularly on the Eastern shore does not rise very high. It's a very gentle landscape. And so you can see the subtle gradations in elevation by what grows there. The lowest lying are these grasses that can get inundated at high tide, um, Spartina grasses, and then a different species of Spartina grasses at the next increment of of elevation. And if you get up a little bit higher, you can grow uh, woody shrubs and pine trees and pine trees seem to be the most tolerant and then hardwood trees as you get to higher elevations. And in these ghost forests, what you see are these, these pine trees, these ones that are most tolerant of, of salt, but too much salt will kill them off. And as as the bay has been rising, and as we've seen these inundation events from from uh, storm tides or astronomical high tides, um, the trees die off, and they but they remain standing, and you see these bare trunks, stripped of their bark, stripped of their needles, standing out there, sentinels. Warning us of the oncoming tide and so much of, of, of we've already lost a lot of land in some of these low lying areas where the hammocks, uh, that's the geographical term, the hammock of trees, the little lump of trees on a slightly higher elevation that the, the hammocks become marsh, the marsh becomes open water, uh, and the open water becomes deeper. Um, and you can see this progression in these in these photographs uh, changing remarkably in our own lifetimes in my in my 30 year career at the museum we've been able to see these changes going on which is remarkable because we take for granted that you know the, the bay, it bay seems so permanent in geograph in geological terms it's it's very young it's ten thousand years old and it's been it's had more or less the current shorelines for about the past thousand years but this is it's a dynamic landscape and we now know that it cannot be taken for granted and that it is changing and part of our job is to document what's here before it changes to give us something to teach us lessons in moving forward uh, as as we learn to adapt to climate change and, and, and rising seas in this area. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Pete Lesher, we thank you for your time. We know you're very busy. We're looking forward to your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates. We want to make sure and encourage all of our audience to ha- help take care of the bay. Visit the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum website and join us at Pete Lesher's presentation coming up here April 7th title of the presentation, again, is An Evening on the Bay with Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Pete Lesher, thanks for your time. And uh, as uh, the Bay continues to uh, be our focus and continues to be uh, a place of, of great interest, uh, we would love to have you come back and talk about some of your upcoming uh, goals and research and new exhibitions. But please join us again sometime, will you?
0: Thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted.
1: My special thanks to Pete Lesher for his generous time today. Pete Lesher will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates program, April 7th, 2021. The title of Pete Lesher's Smithsonian Associates presentation is An Evening on the Bay with Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. Details and links can be found in our show notes today. My thanks to the Smithsonian Associates team for all they do to support the show. And my thanks to you, my dear Not Old Better show audience, for your company today. I hope you'll join me next time. Be safe, be healthy. I hope you're listening today as you're standing in line for the vaccine. And please practice smart social distancing. And remember, let's talk about better. The not All better show. Thanks everybody. In the Virginia